I have to admit that uh, the neighbors know that song very well because every once in a while the kids are be uh, loud and will say, go outside, and they'll go in the backyard and they're, they're yelling, sing a little louder! And uh, <laughs> so the neighbors really enjoy the uh, praise of our kids, I'm sure. Um, sometimes I wonder what the, the neighbors think of our family. Who is that family over there? Man, they got loud kids. Uh, but that, that's a good thing. Uh, let's, let's just pretend uh, for a moment that uh, you're having one of those days that the compliments are coming your way. I mean, it's just one of those spectacular days where uh, somebody tells you you look great and somebody tells you that you got the best personality. Another person tells you that uh, you're doing a great job with your family or at work or whatever. Somebody tells you that you're as handsome as a fox. I get that one all the time. Or, or you're smarter than a computer. Or you run as fast as a cheetah. There's another one. I get it almost every week. Man, you're fast. No, I'm just kidding. I never get that compliment. Uh, but, that would be a, uh, but I'd be on cloud nine. You get all these compliments. And let's say on this day, with all of these compliments, you've got one criticism. Somebody says something that just, it, it hurts, it cuts. And uh, they tell you you're not doing a good job at work or with your family or something like that. And now at the end of the day, you lay your head on the pillow. What's going to be running through your mind? Is it all the compliments or is it the one criticism? You see, compliments have a, have a tendency to kind of go in one ear and out the other. But the criticisms get locked in there. They get lodged in there and it's hard to, to get them out. Studies have shown that it takes 10 compliments to counteract one criticism. And some things are said, even with the best of intentions, meant to be helpful, meant to be constructive, but they sting. And so this morning I want us to consider how do you handle criticism or discouragement and what happens in your life when you face opposition. In Nehemiah chapter 4, we're gonna, we, we have a character. His name is Sanballat. And he hears that the Israelites are rebuilding the wall and they're making progress. So he begins to hurl his criticisms. Now, he's not among the people that are doing the work of the Lord. He's not the, uh, among those that are up on the wall getting to, uh, get, trying to get the work, but he grows discouraged. No, he's on the outside looking in. And he launches these little critical bombs here and there. Nehemiah 4.1 says, When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. Now, let me just stop there for a moment. He became, greatly, uh, he became angry and greatly incensed. Why was Sanballat so upset about the, what the Israelites were doing. Here was a small group of people, and they were making progress. When you see someone uh, doing something good, I hope that it's your natural tendency to uh, want to encourage them and to build them up. But Sanballat was a critic. Now, we're told a little bit of background information in chapter 2. We're told that he's a Hornonite. It says Sanballat the Hornonite. Uh, so uh, that background information lets us know that he's from the uh, 
area of Samaria. And the Samaritans are not necessarily known to be friends with the Jews. But I can't imagine that these uh, small number of Jews that have gathered to rebuild the uh, city are a huge threat to Sanballat or his people. Sanballat criticizes because that's his nature. He's a critical person. He's a negative person. Now, if you know anything about uh, negative people, as I'm sure you do, you know that critics love to hang out with critics. Misery loves company. And this is what uh, happens with Sanballat. He's looking for uh, people to join him in his, uh, his ridicule. Picking up in verse 2, it says, And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Look at it. Think of all these questions. Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? How can they bring stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? One question after another. Every one of them is meant to discourage the people. Take them down a notch. Cause them to want to give up. Cause them to want to say, enough is enough. It's too, it's too much work. We can't do it. The he, there's heaps of rubble. How can we build walls from this? And finally, Sanballat in verse 3, he finds his critic, his fellow critic, to join in with him in ridiculing the Jews. Verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite was by his side, or who was by his side said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stone. Tobiah's got a zinger. Even a fox, 25 pounds, 30 pounds, whatever a fox weighs, if he climbed up on those walls, they'd come crumbling down. And they, and they hurl their little insults here and there. Now, I just pause there because I wonder what kind of criticism, opposition, discouragement do we get in our lives? It may be from the outside. It may be from within. Maybe even within our own family, there's someone that just wants to knock you down a peg, wants to uh, let you know that if you want to do the work of the Lord and want to follow God... Or, or just even have success in life and fulfillment. They're, they're going to try to discourage you for some reason. No, I don't know what pleasure they get out of it. There's nothing to their advantage to see you uh, do poorly, but they're ready to knock you down a little bit, discourage you. Now, what does Nehemiah do in the face of these criticisms? Well, in verse 4, he begins to pray. There's no introduction to the prayer if you look at uh, Nehemiah 4.4. It doesn't say, then Nehemiah went into his tent and began to pray. I don't know where Nehemiah is. Maybe he's still up on the wall, but it just comes flowing from him. He, uh, He begins to pray, hear us, our God. Now I'm going to go on to read the rest of the prayer in a moment, but I just want to stop at the beginning of the prayer and see how Nehemiah addresses the Lord. Hear us, our God. What Nehemiah is doing here is he's grounding himself and the people of Israel in the relationship that they have with God. That God is their God and they are his people. Uh, It is about uh, who they are in relationship with God. You see, that's going to be key for us as we consider our own lives and, uh, and our own 
uh, church and the ministry here, there are going to be times of discouragement. There's going to be times of opposition. There's going to be times of uh, criticism. What's going to uh, matter most is how we see ourselves in light of how God sees us. If our relationship with God is grounded in truth and we find our identity in Him, then it will uh, radically change how we face discouragement or opposition or, or even a critical uh, person in our lives. We will find our identity in Him. Now let's imagine for a moment you decide to go to the park. You're going to go to this park right down here uh, after church. And there's a big playground there for the kids, and you're watching all the kids play on the playground, and they look like they're having fun. And then some little girl, some four-year-old girl that uh, you've never met before, you don't know who she is, she comes over to you and, and says, you, you've got a big nose. Man, you got an ugly nose. Basically, let's pretend like you even got your mask on. She can't even see your nose. Uh, you got an ugly nose. Now, what are you going to do with that uh, criticism? I know what I would do with it. I'd laugh about it. <laughs> Who cares? You can't even see my nose. You're a little four-year-old girl that uh, I don't know. You, uh, your, your criticism doesn't make, make a, a, hill of beans, a hill of beans to me. It doesn't matter a hill of beans to me. It, it's just a silly criticism. Criticisms only have power in our lives when we give the person power in our hearts and our lives. You don't let the criticism of a four-year-old little girl bother you because what do you care what she thinks? You see, the, the only criticisms that take up uh, room in our hearts and really hurt us is if we value what the other person says. Sometimes we just got to say, you don't hold any more weight in my life than some four-year-old stranger at the park. Sometimes we just got to uh, say, forget about it. Why? Because our identity rests in what God says about us. What God says about us uh, carries way more weight than what anyone else says. You see, this is why it is so important that we come before the Lord and we say, help us, our God, my God, because you're the one that tells me who I am. You're the one that uh, encourages my heart. You're the one that tells me I am a child of God. You're the one that tells me that you're going to fight for me, as we just sang about, that, that, uh, that, uh, that we are secure in our relationship with Jesus. You see, it matters. Uh, the only ones that have power in our lives are those that we let have power in our lives. And so here is my encouragement to you today. Let the words of God matter to you more than any other words that you would hear. You see, we come to church every Sunday to sing these praises because they ground us in our relationship with God. They remind us of how great God is and how much he comes alongside of us and he fights for us. I want to encourage you every day, spend time in God's word and prayer because it builds you up in your relationship with God. It reminds you of who God is and who you are in relationship with God. Nehemiah uh, begins to pray and uh, he says, Hear us, our God. And then he goes on to pray. For we are despised 
Listen to Nehemiah's prayer here and tell me how this prayer strikes you. He says, hear our prayer, hear hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Part of me reads that prayer and says, yeah, you go get them, Nehemiah. But then I think, well, Nehemiah, that doesn't sound very spiritual, really. Uh, Turn their insults back on their own heads. Don't cover up their guilt, God. Blot out their sins, or, or, and don't blot out their sins from your sight. Uh, you know, uh, get them, God. It, sounds, it almost strikes us as uh, a little bit uh, off. Like it doesn't sound like Jesus' words from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I've wrestled with this, passage, this prayer this week, and, I, and I've begun to wonder, does Nehemiah need to grow in his faith? Or are there some helpful things that we can draw from this prayer? And, I, and I've come to the conclusion that uh, there are a couple crucial things for us to learn in this prayer. First of all, Nehemiah is expressing his pain in all its rawness and ugliness. Like Nehemiah is going before the Lord and he's saying, this is how I really feel, God. And I think sometimes the most powerful prayers are prayers that are full of real and raw emotions. And I want to just encourage you today, if you're going through one of those times of discouragement and opposition, to feel like you can go before the Lord and you can talk to him about what's really going on in your heart. And then the second helpful thing I think we see in Nehemiah's prayer is that he cries out to God for justice. He says, God, may the wrongs done against us be put to right. May those things that are causing us uh, hindrance from doing your will, God, may you, may you get rid of those obstacles. It's a prayer for justice. And maybe we need to be stirred up to pray more prayers of justice. Maybe we grow apathetic in our, uh, in our desire to help the helpless or to come alongside of the vulnerable because we don't know the, the justice heart of God. And my prayer, and, and I think we need to pray that we would be able to come alongside of kids because kids are those that cannot help themselves or the poor or the abused or those that are being mistreated with, uh, with prejudice or being treated unjustly. And so may we pray prayers uh, like Nehemiah prayer, full of emotion and justice. Now, just to uh, take a step back again, uh, what we see so far is, what we've seen so far in this passage is uh, that we will face opposition and criticism. In fact, I guarantee you, if you want to do the Lord's work, you can just expect that there's going to be opposition, there's going to be discouragement. In fact, you can expect it because we know the enemy, uh, the de- our enemy, the devil, wants to bring us down. He doesn't want us to follow God. And so we can expect opposition. We can expect difficulty. If we want to be leaders, criticism comes with being a leader. Uh, 
J. Oswald Sanders, in his excellent book, Spiritual Leadership, said, the one guarantee of being a leader for God is that we will be criticized. And so we can expect opposition and discouragement. And then we also have noticed that we must face that opposition with prayer. Now, here is the next verse. What does Nehemiah do after he prays? Nehemiah 4, 6. So we rebuilt the wall until it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their hearts. Here's the, here's the next point of application in this passage, is that when, when we grow discouraged, when we uh, face opposition, we work at our, our efforts all the more. We work at it with all our hearts. The people, were uh, though they were discouraged, they did not give up. In fact, they redoubled their efforts. So here is, my, uh, here is my application for you, and here's my application for us as a church. We need to pray and then stay at the task. Keep going. Don't give up. So we pray and work. Pray and work. Pray and work. When I was a kid, uh, there was some days I'd go into school, and there was a test, and I had not studied for the test. And I wasn't always the greatest student, so I hadn't always studied. But what do I do right before, as the exam is being uh, passed out? I pray. Ronald Reagan had a good line when he was president. He, uh, he said, as long as there are tests in school, there will be prayer in schools. And uh, that was true for me. Uh, I did, probably did more praying than I did studying, and so my grades weren't always the gra- greatest. But if you want good grades, you pray and you study. If you don't want your house to be broken in, you pray and then you lock the doors at night, right? You pray and you work. You pray and you work. Proverbs uh, 21, 31 says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. So we prepare the horse. We get the horse ready for battle, but victory ultimately rests with the Lord. If you want to see your marriage strengthened, you pray and then you take your wife out on a date. Or you pray and then you have the difficult conversation with your husband. Or you pray and then you set up a meeting with a marriage counselor. If you want a job, you pray and then you keep passing out your resumes or you, or you keep looking for uh, the better job. If we as a church want to see people come to know the Lord as their Lord and Savior, we pray and then we witness, right? We don't just pray and just hope it happens. We pray and work. We go out of our way. We invite our friends, our family members to church. We, we pray and we work. If you, want to go to, if you want to grow in your faith, you pray and then you have your devotions and you, and you get to work in the service of the Lord. You obey Him. You see, passivity, uh, to pray is not to be passive. To pray is to pray and work. God loves to answer prayers when they are done in the position of readiness. So we pray and work. This is what we see the Israelites doing, but I might note that it doesn't get easy on them right away. Verse 10 says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out and here is so much rubble that they cannot rebuild the wall 
they look around and they see all the rubble and their strength is giving out. They're discouraged. They're about to give up. And here's what Nehemiah says. Don't be afraid of them. Don't let the criticisms that are coming your way sink in. Don't give them the time of day. And uh, They're they're like a four-year-old girl at the park. Forget about it. Rather, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Here's what Nehemiah says. Take your eyes off of the rubble all around them all around you and put your eyes on the Lord. Remember the Lord. I had one of those meetings this week with someone that um, was just a difficult meeting. They're going through a more difficult time than I've ever experienced in my life. And um, in fact, as, as I talked with this individual, just almost on the verge of saying, forget it, it's too much wanting to walk away from the faith, wanting to walk away from uh, his problems. And, uh, and I didn't want to sound trite, and I didn't want to just give the pious answer that the pastor's supposed to give, but I, but I did want to somehow plant the seed to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. You see, it's God in us that is most important. It's not you, it's not me who is great and awesome. It's God in us, and he's the one that is able to do it. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, Paul says here in this passage that we are like jars of clay, Pick up a clay jar on the, at the corner market for a nickel. Not worth anything. Breaks easily. But he says, within us is the all-surpassing power of God. You see, it's not us. It's God in us. Clay pots can crack and break, and, and we can crack and break under the pressure. But it's God in us. And so Paul goes on to say, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not abandoned struck down but not destroyed i like the way uh the phillips paraphrase says knocked down but not knocked out and maybe that's where you're at this morning you know we've been through a difficult a long difficult season and uh and maybe work has been hard and maybe the family situation is difficult maybe uh just it's like it's just like we've been punched in the face one too many times well Paul says we've been knocked down, but not knocked out. And so my point is, just keep uh, turning to the Lord. Remember the Lord, for he is great and awesome. As I met with that guy this week, um, I just kept, I I couldn't help but thinking it. And I kept this to myself, but I just couldn't help thinking. But um, that God is going to, if he can persevere, if he can stick with the Lord, God is going to make him into a man of God that is going to have such an impact on this world. Because I know that God forms us more in the storms than he does in the sunlight. Like it's, it's through the difficult times of life that uh, God's all-surpassing power that lives in us is manifest, is shown. Just to think about clay pots for a moment. If you set a clay pot out in the hot sunshine every day, 
eventually it's going to break and, and crack. But if it gets rain every once in a while, that moisture makes it stronger and it, and, uh, it makes it beautiful. You see, people grow more during storms than they do on days of sunshine. And so why it's not easy for the Israelites, God's working in their hearts. God's teaching them to trust in him. Now, two more uh, passages, two more uh, sections of verse from uh, Nehemiah 4, and then we'll wrap this up. But I can't help, but I can't skip over verses 17 and 18 because it's just such a picture. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore a sword at his side as he worked. You get the image? They got a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. I mean, is that a picture of going through a difficult time or not? Is that a picture of persevering in the face of opposition? They're hammering and they're fighting off their enemy at the same time. It's the same thing with us. You know, we're going to face the enemy. We, we keep coming back to the Lord, keep doing the work, and, and we fight off the enemy in Jesus' name. And then here are, here are Nehemiah's concluding thoughts in verses 19 and 20. Nehemiah says, Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is, is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. I want to bring, uh, as I wrap up this, this message, I just want to give you three applications for today's sermon. Application one is to come together. Nehemiah says it's not good that the people are spread out all over the wall. When you hear the trumpet blow, uh, let's join together. And I think that that's a good reminder from, for us as well. We draw strength from one another. This is why it's so important for us to continue to regather as a church. We draw strengths from one another. It's in the Lord's house that our energies are renewed. It's when we worship together that we're encouraged. It's when we serve together that we're strengthened. It's when we fellowship that we are refreshed. It's when we study and look at God's word together that we're reminded of who God is, who we are, and what God wants us to do. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And so the, the first application is make that a priority in your life to come together with other believers. It's so important. In fact, if you don't, uh, th that discouragement will not only wear on you, it'll wear you out and you'll drop out. And so we come together. Second application is pray. Every day I encourage you to spend some time in prayer, to pray for God's help and, and uh, to remind yourself of how great and awesome he is. And then third application is stick at the task. Don't give up. Keep trying to do what God wants you to do. God wants to see you thrive in your family and in your marriage, in your work. Uh, there are going to be times where God calls you to another job or God calls you to something else. That's okay. My point is, whatever he calls you to, don't give up. Keep following him. Stay at the task. And so we hold on to this promise. Our God will fight for us. 
our God will fight for us. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. That's Lamentations 3.24. Hold on to the promise. Our God will fight for us. When you go through the storms of life, your God will fight for you. When you struggle in your marriage or your family, your God will fight for you. When you face discouragement or at work or school, your God will fight for you. As we as a church stand against the evil one and seek to carry out God's work in the ministry of our church, may we be grounded in the, in the promise and in the truth that our God will fight for us. And that's what we hold on to, that we are his vessels. We're, we're his jars of clay and the all-surpassing power of God rests in us that God longs to do his work through us. Our God will fight for us. Amen? That's the truth I want us to hang on to. If we're going to rebuild, this is our blueprints for a rebuild. That's a foundational truth, that God's in this, and, he, and he's got our back. That as long as we stay faithful to him, our God will fight for us. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come before you now because we know that you are our warrior, you're our field general, and you're uh, the strength within us. And God, your word is the sword of the Spirit, and we turn to you and we pray that you would fight for us. And God, help us to stay at it. God, I pray for, every, for each person that is here this morning. Some of them may be going through one of these times of discouragement. And I pray that you would meet them where they are at pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them and build them up. I pray for anyone that may be watching this online right now. And uh, maybe they're just overwhelmed with anxiety or fear. They're not sure if they can go on one more day. God, I pray that you would remind them that you are great and awesome. That you will fight for them. May, may they turn to you. And God, if there is anyone here in person or watching online that does not know you as their Savior and Lord, God, I pray that they would today turn to you and uh, give their lives to you. Help them to remember that you are the most important uh, power and presence and person in the universe, God, and that it is uh, ultimately only you and what you think of them that matters. And so may they turn their hearts and lives over to you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.